Hello everybody and welcome to Building for Peace with Hannah Jewell. Today we have as our guest Mark Stenham and Mark works in agroforestry which is an incredibly deep interest for me. I'd love to create an agroforest one day and I'm so excited to have him on the show for this reason. Um, He's been doing agroforestry for the last 10 years or so, has a background in organic farming. He works with school children on school projects, teaching them how to garden, and we're going to learn so much from him today. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Anne. Yeah. Um, would you like to begin with a little bit of your story and how you started? And and what brought you to the place where you wanted to work with the land? Yeah. Um, yeah. I could say my. St I feel like my story starts in. Um, I don't know a bit of a uh, strange way of kind of uh, waking up to nature or waking up to the land. Of um, I grew up in Brighton and. Uh, just remember, just um, yeah, at the time in my like late teens, going to parties out in on the downs, and just um, finding myself in nature, perhaps, uh, yeah, like maybe for the first time, like of my own choice, going out there, and um, and just really turning onto it, um, and I think ever since then, I've just yeah just more and more kind of embraced, um, wanted to understand more about the, of how, yeah, how to work the land, how nature kind of revolves. Um, um, yeah, and, and I think part of that, in that, in that uh, part of my life, um, I think I was really struggling with the idea of um, empowerment and how can I um, empower myself towards uh, like inde independent living um, and I explore avenue, like lots of avenues um, whether that was uh, like by protesting or uh, living in other ways perhaps like squatting but yeah exploring other ways of doing things um, but food production or growing food just seemed so um, seemed like the way for me and I really connected with that yeah so from this like deep connection to nature you found in nature outside of the city to a desire to live alternatively. And I think of a, a lot of us explored squatting and protesting and, and the free party scene. And then you, at a relatively young age, you know, moved into gardening and working with the land for a sense of true independence. Um, and you were describing when we were chatting earlier mm -hmm. about yeah. how you started with an allotment yeah. and then um, went into organic gardening. Tell us a little yeah. more about that. So I think yeah, when I when I first started, um, I um, so yeah, I would I was uh, helping uh, up on a a community garden that was in Brighton, and I I mean I um, I saw the guys that run it the other day actually. Um, at a, a seed swap in Brighton, it was lovely to see them. And um, yeah, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, yeah, longer than that, going up and working with them. And I'm just thinking about like what I love about it. I just love the, um, and I think in that time, not only it's not only about food production, but I think when you work the land, for me as well, it's also about a community and fitness. And actually, I really like. I quite like getting, like working hard and getting dirty and like that kind of physical stuff. I'm not someone that uh, have no care for like pristine living and um, and yeah, I just found that working in that way, I could just really relax with it. Mm. It felt really right. So after after working with the community garden, um, I took on an, an allotment for a while. Um, 
and yeah, and be began to learn how to grow. But I think um, I was, I, it was definitely one of those things of um, I think at that time in my life I was still kind of moving around quite a lot, quite nomadic, uh, going abroad a bit, and um, going off to festivals. And so I would start growing things, but then not look after them because I wasn't there. And it was, I think there's. But the beginning of it, it was definitely the beginning of a process of, um, yeah, learning, learning, or an interest of learning how to how to look after the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and from that, um, I had I had a few years like uh, where where I went abroad and um, was working abroad. But then when I came back, I um, started working at an organic farm, which is over in like Plumpton. Uh, and that's really where I was already very interested and had some knowledge, but that's really where I began to learn a lot about um, growing food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when you began to experience um, the concept of roots, like rooting yourself to the land. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, um, yeah. When it, yeah, when you work the land. Um, I think it's, and I've, I'm becoming, I'm even this year, I'm becoming more and more aware of that rooting, mm. like, um, and just in terms of, uh, there's certain times of the year that are really important, especially like through the spring, where actually, you know, I, I don't think I can particularly go away on holiday during that time, you know, I need to be present and I need to be there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think about um, the idea of rooting, like Peter and Colette, who uh, run this organic farm that I worked at, and who still run it. Who, um, you know, they they've been there for thirty years and rarely have a break, and they're just dedicated to to working the land. And that's that is actually what you know that's what it truly takes to. Um, you've got to be. Grandly, you've got to be rooted in um, you have to nurture the space. Mm. Yeah. There's many aspects, but I can certainly think it's. I would, um, I would say, it's a, a form of gardening that I can really connect to. A form of land management, where you're almost trying to do experimenting with trying to put in the minimal amount of effort for mm. the for the maximum amount of harvesting um, and really and the way that is working by is is looking at the um, at the way um, plants and trees like naturally try and grow and and prosper so just so I often really enjoy when I'm walking in woodland or down by the river and just looking around to see how things, how plants are working together, and then when I go into the into the garden that I'm working with, then I'm I'm trying to mirror that as best as possible, so that mm -hmm. um, again, you know, so that there can be a symbiotic relationship, so that things aren't things aren't competing with each other, but they're doing it in a favourable way. Okay, so an agroforest is food forest, and mm -hmm. the forest that we walk in is probably abundant with food if we knew what we were looking for. Um, but we're sort of crafting that so it's more abundant with food, mm -hmm. but still wild. What are some of the things yeah, you yeah, see so, in the forest so yeah, that you e replicate? Everything. So. It like a, yeah, the, so the agroforestry model is that everything that's in the garden is, is uh, like a useful product. Generally that means that it's edible. Um, and otherwise beyond that, um, it means that there's gonna be like, the plants will have medicinal qualities. Um, or there's, it's gonna be a plant that brings good wildlife into the, into the garden. Or, um, or yeah, or it's going to create products that are useful for the garden. So I'm just uh, a couple of weeks ago. There's some tall alder trees. 
that are growing in the gut in the in the garden, and at the moment they're great because they have um, catkins on them that are that are edible. They're full of protein, mm. um, and also I was discussing with a herbalist the other day about um, like the the medicinal qualities, um, mm. and then um, but yeah, I was there's there's a big row of them and they're very tightly packed, so I cut some down. Um, and logged them up, and I've been inoculating them with um, different mushroom strings, mushroom mm-hmm. spores, yeah. Um, yeah, to, um, to again add another, like, another food resource. Okay, so in thinning the alders, we got another food resource of the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And the alders are producing a catkin we can eat just yeah. now. And what else might they produce like later in the year? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, l- later in the year, they um, the the alders are also there for um, they're protecting uh, the garden from like wind because they're relatively tall. And then they are also um, these kind of alders. They bring uh, like. They fertilize the soil like into the garden, and they're in the highest part of the garden, so innately the um the nitrogen that they're producing is kind of coming down through the soil through the rest of the garden uh-huh. so they don't beyond the catkins in terms of their edibility that's what that's what they're bringing um, but yeah, but there's many other um aspects that they're also bringing to you, yeah. yeah nutrients, wind shelter. Yeah. And um, and there's also yeah, a certain kind of um uh like caterpillar that uh-huh. likes these alder trees that um yeah will then um that will then yeah will eat some of the leaves and then um yeah bring a certain butterfly into the garden. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what might that butterfly's role in the garden be? <laughs> <laughs> I could yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just you know, just like the honeybee, the butterflies are going to be pollen- helping the pollination. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, we bees are often the ones that are seen as like a significant insect for pollinating, but any all insects, like flying insects, that are moving around are helping the mm-hmm. pollination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some other examples of plants that bring wildlife? I can think of a few. Um, and uh, so, just uh, uh, around the garden, uh, generally around the hedges, are some the Eliagnus um, bushes, uh, which are like um, they're called Russian olive, Russian olives. And um, there's there's two kinds in the garden, but we, that we've got like um, which uh, one which is quite a typical uh, like almost like go- like typical garden plant that produces a fruit. In the um, in the spring, and then there's a less common one which produces these lovely berries in the um, like silver berries in the autumn, mm-hmm. and um, the spring fruiting one, the Eliagnus, is um, it's an evergreen. So um, there's lots of birds that are like live inside these bushes because they're very well protected, mm-hmm. but like sparrows and blackbirds. Um, and yeah, and as well, there um, the spring fruit is uh, for, for human consumption. It's it's okay, but it's not great. It's quite there's a lot, a lot of seed and not much fruit. But for birds, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the 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 bird life that these that these that they bring in is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've been feeling like the there's been a a family of blackbirds that I feel kind of lord over the garden uh-huh. um, and they've become particularly friendly um, so when I'm working working around in the garden they've just um, especially the female blackbird she'll just be there kind of a few meters away kind of resting on the soil like very I think when a garden has or land is worked in a, quite a peaceful way mm. and like a nurturing way then I feel like the wildlife becomes more trusting, and certainly with these blackbirds, yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, and the benefits they bring of 
then they're also um, they're also going around the garden eating, yeah, like slugs and snails and um, yeah, and aphids, mm. yeah, and kind of yeah, help helping to address a good a better balance anyway in the garden, yeah. Yeah, so that's another level of reciprocity there with the animal spirits mm -hmm. and their um, their trust in the garden as a place of safety and a place to flourish. Do you feel like you actually have a relationship with the animals? In the <laughs> I, cer I certainly do with this, like this blackbird family. Yeah, I feel. Um, I don't know whether "close" is the right word, mm. but um, yeah, there's there's a connection. Yeah, mm. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, it, around in the garden as well. It, like I'm. I, I don't, I'm really against like burning any material like for burning sake, so any um, cuttings and if, they can't, if they're too woody to compost then, um, then they, I just create these kind of dead wood kind of fencing areas or like windshields mm -hmm. for, again for animals to kind of get into that where they're protected, especially things like um, because it's like, yeah, there's a lot of mice around in the garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's. I'm, yeah, that, so I'm, I'm really kind of more and more create, like creating habitats for wildlife in the, in the space. Mm -hmm. um, what about wildlife that's, you know, typically seen as a pest, like rabbits? Deer, yeah. beavers—they can eat a garden <laughs> yeah. half a night. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I can say thankfully. Yeah, I think um, where where the garden's located, there's not there's not many deer around in that area. If if any, I've, I'm not sure I've seen any in that part of the downs. And there's yeah, there's a rabbit fence around to, mm -hmm. around the garden to keep them out. Certainly the. Um, uh, yeah, the the mice and uh, I think there's a yeah I mean there's a rat that's living under the one of the potting shed that's um, been nibbling some of the salad leaves that are in the greenhouse. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, the the mice were certainly have enjoyed some of the um, yeah some of the like again the, like the annual root vegetables that are around in the garden. Like mm -hmm. they really enjoyed some of the beet trees this year. I can see their little teeth marks in there, <laughs> but you know that's yeah. Um, so you don't mind sharing a little bit with no, the animals? No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, anyway, like you know, I'm not. I personally, I don't mind whether, say, like a beetroot looks pristine. I don't, you know, if it's got a few gnaw marks in it, I'll just cut that piece out and I'll eat the rest. Like mm -hmm. that feels. I know there's a like, um, like a. Something I always think about when I'm eating, and I have like, if if uh, I've got dogs, so the dogs with me, or if I have um, my children or guests, like a Buddhist quote of like, it's really important to always like share a good portion of your food, and certainly that's, um, yeah, you know, that's certainly with the forest gardening, the food forest, it's um, like yeah, making sure that. I mean, wildlife, I mean, life that's in the garden, that's not human life, is also like, um, has some food there. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it creates a beautiful, you know, a harmonious space. Uh huh. One of the biggest pests as a gardener is slugs and snails. Mm. And for, it doesn't matter whether that's an annual crop or a perennial, um, and finding some way of balancing that. Um, the last few years, I, when I first started in the garden, I was really focused around, I've got to get the slug and snail population reduced. Mm -hmm. um, so we used to, uh, with the volunteers on site, I used to come up with some bottles of wine and at night time we'd get our like head torches on and go into the garden and pick all like, the the spinach plants and sounds would be covered and like literally covered in them. It was horrible. Uh -huh. 
-hmm. especially in the spring, and we pick them all off. Um, and actually now, like the last few years, I've, I've stopped doing that. And, and I think like the life of the garden has, has, is balanced out. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, like the birds, um, and you know, there's also a pond, like the, um, like the pond life is really helping to, um, and perhaps, perhaps there's a hedge, some hedgehogs in the garden. I imagine mm -hmm. there probably are with the, these kind of, um, wooden pile, like woody piles that I've built up that have all had an influence in that. So, um, so yeah, so that the, this, the main pest of the slugs is, is greatly reduced. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I just think in terms of that, like the, um, like the pests, also the, the diversity of plants. Mm. Um, and people often ask me about like companion planting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, and I often feel that it's almost a different model to companion planting because there is such diversity really mixed up through the whole space. There's constant companions for every plant. Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, there's not this like, I mean, even on a, an allotment where you can have these like specific spaces of like, this is the food space. And so, you know, they need, you've got to create their companions or um, their positive partnerships. But in the, in the forest garden, this, it already exists. Yeah. yeah. So a forest garden doesn't have like rows set out. It's more um, things are moving in and around all of the different trees and shrubs and most of the things are edible. What does it look like and what does it feel like to walk through that kind yeah. of space? Yeah, yeah. So it, it feels, I mean, it, just like any garden, it feels really different through different seasons. Mm -hmm. um, what I what I really, what really strikes me is I know that by the, by the 1st of May, it will be wild, like wildly green. And, and it almost, at the moment in its winter, like, I guess like skeletal shapes, you begin to see like the separate plants a little bit. But by, by the 1st of May, it's, it's just this, these rolls of green um, you know, from the ground up onto the, like small shrubs and bigger ones, and then up into the trees, and and then through the vines, where it, there's there's not necessarily like a strong differentiation. Mm. Yeah. Do you have to know what you're looking for in order to find food in the garden? Uh, again, I think it depends on the time of year. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, in the winter, you need to know. You need to know what you're looking for, um, but yeah, in the, like in the midsummer when all the all the fruits are coming, then they really they really display, you know, they, mm. what the, what they have to offer. Um, I probably have, I mean, and certainly with the leaves, I probably experimented with trying most of the leaves. You know, I actually feel that most plants are probably edible. Uh huh. Um, so give us some examples of leaves that you can eat from a for food forest that you might not eat otherwise. Yeah, um, so yeah, um, so in a food forest, um, so tr the uh, leaves from the lime tree, they're mm -hmm. quite well known, that like the young leaves are really good. Also, um, I quite like making like a, earlier in the season of like just herb salads so like lemon balm leaves sage leaves um what else is there um yeah even i guess like fennel leaf uh and then um yeah the leaf from the this like a it's like a globe artichoke but a cardoon like using the leaves from that um and yeah, and then there's a whole, even like bl black currant leaves, um, are quite tasty. 
those up with like olive oil, like a, a yeah. regular salad? Yeah, just mix them up like a regular salad, yeah. yeah. Do they take a lot of chewing and do they feel um, no, digestible no. in your stomach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. 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 I um, mean, you know, often in the spring, the like, those early leaves are actually quite, um, they're quite delicate, they're quite soft. Like, it's only when they, after t when things age and and they touch up against the kind of environment and climate that they toughen up. Um, but yeah, like in the springtime, again, yeah, most leaves are actually quite good. Yeah. yeah, right. And then when the leaves are getting tougher, then we have the fruits to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about um, perennial versus annual plants <laughs> yeah. and how this is so important in a food garden. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, yeah, again, like, um, for perennial plants, I mean, that's, you know, generally in our, I'm like looking out the window here, like, that's what you see, like, perennial plants are plants that are, they're there all the time, they're hardy, like, which means that they're strong, mm -hmm. and strong to me means, you know, they can, they can survive really cold winters, they survive the wind, and they don't really need much help from me, they're just going to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and they're, and they're, so in, in the forest garden, like with the perennial plants that are there, that they are like strong plants mm -hmm. that will produce their food or their medicine, um, whether I'm there or not, they're just going to do that. Mm. And and they're also gonna like their strength is also if they're next to another plant they're gonna hold their space like um, mm. they're gonna control it again without me I might need to help a little bit but I don't want to help too much mm. I think that's the nature of uh, where I'm trying to enable things to kind of naturalize and. Mm. Maybe not like I don't quite like the word wild, but like, like yeah, be their be their tr like their their true spirit, um, yeah, without me having to intervene, um, and then yeah, and and perennial foods like simply like um, so there's a, a an annual or a perennial kind of leek that's in the garden mm -hmm. called a Babington's leek at the moment are looking fantastic and I mean I don't have I don't have to do anything you know I can just I'll just come and harvest them and in the summer they um, they send up their they have their bulbs in the ground and um, and they send up some new ones which I can just take and scatter around and more will come up mm -hmm. um, it's very relaxed and again, they're strong plants. They, mm. I think some plants, and I notice it in strawberries, another perennial, that they, they must release certain chemicals that um, stop other plants kind of coming into that root base. Like, um, and these Babington leeks must be releasing a certain chemical that is um, kind of impinging other, in, uh, yeah, other plants invading their space, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, on the flip side, so the perennials are annuals. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've recently just, I've sown my first seeds of the spring, and I'm aware that as soon as I do that with annual plants, like, the rest of my, it's the beginning of a process of, like, once I've done that, and uh, thankfully it's, we're still in February, and the weather's a bit, still a bit cool so it's it's not racing away but once we get to March and it warms up I'm going to continually be sowing seeds and and nurturing these seedlings and it's very time consuming um, and then beyond that you know uh, what can I uh, and then I yeah and then I'm going to have to take these plants plant them out look after them again because they're the annual plants are the ones that um, the pests like garden pests will be really interested in because mm -hmm. they're the more like maybe the softer leaves especially when they're young softer leaves 
hands, like, because they're younger as well, like, they've got more, like, nutrition held within them, more vitality. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so there's, so yeah, so then there's, their annual plants are incredibly time-consuming, mm -hmm. um, and, and the perennial plants are absolutely don't need any time at all. In fact, the thing with perennial plants is probably when some of them say like a black currant, is that when it does come to harvesting them or the or the silverberries, is that it does take quite it takes takes time to pick them. But yeah. that yeah, but that's quite a joyous thing to do, just mm. to harvest. Um, but yeah, the annuals there's continual monitoring and and watering and caring for them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you know, uh, and of course, an annual plants have, uh, you know, an annual flowers are, are beautiful, um, and annual vegetables are um, highly nutritious and, and voluminous, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, certainly have a place. Um, but, I, and I, I find in the garden of finding a balance between the perennial and the annual, yeah, that there's, in, in, the, in my forest garden, there, there are spaces for annuals, but every year I'm aware of, actually, I've, I need to be doing less mm. of the spring work and the summer work for the annuals and, and allow more space for the perennials where I can, you know, I can be a more relaxed gardener. Um, and yeah, so more and more space in the forest garden, or like I'd say, more of the annual spaces get taken away every year. Mm -hmm. In fact, this year I'm probably down to, I'm not sure I can reduce it any more than I have. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is it about like 30% annuals, 50% annuals, yeah, where are you at with it? I think when I first started and the, the garden was quite young, like in terms of the perennials, you know, there's probably around about, probably like 60% of it was annuals because there was still lots of space. And I'm, I'm like with perennial plants, like especially with forest gardening plants, they're incredible because instead of sowing seeds for them, I mean, some you sow seeds, generally you take cuttings, you divide roots, um, and and over like over ten years, you know, I've like the perennials have spread and spread, and I've spread them, um, and yeah, and now I'm probably from maybe sixty percent of annual space now, maybe down to around what would it be? Maybe twenty percent. Uh -huh. Yeah, maybe less than that, fifteen percent. Yeah. And yeah, maybe next year, I'll be feeling like. Okay, going to reduce it down again, yeah. Yeah. So you've got so much growing on its own and your presence in the garden, um, like you said, is more relaxed. But does this garden actually feed you? Um, do you produce a, a significant amount out of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, in the garden there's... Um, uh, there's uh, the couple, uh, Roger and Susie, who's it, it's on their on their estate on their land, um, and yeah, so it produces food for me and my family, and produces food for them. And there is also uh, we're part of uh, the, the woofing scheme, so willing workers on um, organic uh, land, and um, so it produces food for the woofers there and there's volunteers that come up and work with me too and mm -hmm. um, also take food away and yeah and and it, when there's and when there's real times of bountiful and harvest if there's way too much then and then that food will um yeah I'll try and feed it into um, like uh, either towards a food bank or to a homeless uh, like charity mm -hmm. yeah try and find a resource for it um, yeah, and yeah, and, and all all through the year, there's um, yeah, the the garden is giving foods, um, and yeah, it, and 
and yeah, the, the time now, which, uh, there's like a, the, the hungry gap that's often talked yeah. about, yeah. And um, yeah, and I'm, I'm finding this year that like, um, I'm really finding that I'm, I'm perhaps not experiencing that. Yeah, with the, um, you know, I could, and I could say it's like it's ha it is hand in hand between the annual foods. You know, I still have, I still have quite a few pumpkins and squashes sitting around in my kitchen, um, and I just I just harvested last week, and um, all like not all of them, but the last of the root vegetables, like annual root vegetables that were there. Um, I've been trying to be very well behaved of of eating a swede every week, which is not, mm. for me, not easily done, but, you know, that's a lot of swedes. You don't like swedes. <laughs> I, I like them, but I, like in the kitchen, it takes quite a long time to cook a swede. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to boil it for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, the, and what I'm really noticing with The Hungry Gap is not only that there's, this year, there's that, um, like, ample of, that seem to have quite a good amount of annuals there's also yeah there's like perennial foods that are there and um, like supporting so um, like things like Jerusalem artichokes uh, the cardoons are like giving their leaves and there's already the, the sorrel leaves have started growing mm -hmm. um, and yeah and then there's these alliums like these perennial leeks and there's some perennial onions that are there um, yeah, so there's, um, yeah, and also, yeah, I'm just thinking the, the tuna tree that um, has just started, uh, like, giving some of its leaves as well, which is almost like spinach. Uh-huh. Yeah. Food to eat during there's what is traditionally called yeah. the hungry gap. Yeah. Um, in traditional farming, the hungry gap is... Um, where we haven't planted the spring things yet, the winter vegetables have run out, um, there's nothing like popping out in nature. We could hunt if we wanted to live on meat alone, but we're kind of hungry. That That's what it means, is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there's actually a whole bunch of um, perennial, mm -hmm. are they almost wild? Like, would you consider these wild foods in a way? Yeah, they yeah they are wild foods. Yeah. yeah, 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 and I think yeah, I think wild you know wild foods yeah they have, um yeah they've got a, a different energy different like different quality, um I just find it quite strange when you walk in a supermarket and like all the foods are all the vegetables all the foods you know um. I mean, not not all of them, but in that beginning area of the fresh foods, they're generally like all our annual vegetables, um, you know, which we see as like that's the right, you know, that's the food that humans eat. Right. Yeah. And I think that when you like fresh wild food, I even think of like a, a um, ate the other day like a wild garlic, like mm -hmm. the first leaves, like wow, like these foods are they're quite tangy and. Um, incredibly like nutrient rich mm. yeah and it's like there's the whole thing about reciprocity with land and with animals but then about with like other humans too I'm just so aware how in this country we're reliant on all these annual vegetables being grown in Spain coming to feed all of us and what if that system breaks down at some point it's just not natural mm -hmm. Um, so what would we have eaten? We were talking earlier about like yeah. before the potato came to Europe <laughs> yeah. in the UK, right? What did yeah. we actually eat? Tell us a little bit more about this kind of, yeah. it's not ancient, but an older way of eating. Yeah. So I think, I think what, um, yeah, um, and not just with potatoes. I mean, we could think about that whole family, which like seems to reign in gardening these days of like potatoes, tomatoes, chilies, peppers, aubergines, like these are almost like gold in the gardening world. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, what would it have looked like before? I, yeah, I think, um, yeah, there would have been leaves. I really think that the, like the beet family, so chard and, and leaf beet, like spinach, as well as beetroot would have been uh, 
a huge part of like northern European food, as mm-hmm. well as things like Swedes and turnips, and um, yeah, which uh, which I'm 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 receiving more and more, but they they <laughs> I, certainly do challenge me. I can eat a Swede, <laughs> but I do not like turnips, and I do oh, not I like parsnips. <laughs> I, a turnip, I could. I could almost eat straight from the ground, they're delicious. Uh-huh. Like, peel the skin off and just get into it. Amazing. I, I have to uh, make myself eat turnips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I suppose I can, you know, rather than be hungry. Mm-hmm. It's almost a matter of allowing our palate to adjust. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think a really important thing as well about, um, if I, I was talking to someone on the weekend about it who was from, it's from Norway. And it was really interesting talking to him about the hungry gap where like, of course, like in places further north in Europe, like, you know, the hungry gap is extreme. Mm. And what's really important is, you know, you, you can't rely on fresh foods anymore. And again, you know, what's really important an ancient way is that I is really knowing what to do. It's not just about growing food, but also knowing what to do with it to preserve it. So he was talking a lot about, um, like, uh, like salting and smoking fish, mm. and and having memories of his grandparents doing that. Uh, that would, you know, he was saying that he remembers when they were children, like they were living on a farm and they like no, they didn't have it, so didn't have any shoes. Like they were mm. lucky if they had new clothes, and generally through the winters they just ate salted fish. Like that's. Mm. That's what there was for them, um, yeah. And and with the food forest, really important important part of um, uh, yeah of of food is of food production. It's not just about growing it, but also knowing um, yeah how can I store it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know again that that helps to when the hungry gap arrives and. Yeah, it's it's not it's not an issue, right? Because yeah. you've got things, and yeah. this is not just like canning, um, and and creating all sorts of like chutneys and things like this. It's it's also um, about knowing how to store things in space, isn't it? Like with your squashes and your cabbages, do you need a cold, dark space to keep them? Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that would that be would helpful. Help, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm quite, I'm probably quite relaxed with the squashes. I just, I quite, I just have them around the house. Um, but yeah, certainly other things, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, to, um, they need to be stored somewhere like cool and dry. Some things like to be, um, like, buried as well, mm-hmm. either either in sand or in hay or in soil. Um, yeah, to, you know, if you're going to still rely on that, on the fresh, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, over the years being, uh, what I do with a, a good quantity of the um, juice that gets made from the apples is that um, it's turning it into cider and then utilizing that vinegar, like the cider vinegar, or mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not saying cider, into cider vinegar, mm-hmm. and and then utilizing that vinegar for them, yeah, for preserving things within. Ah, yeah, super. Yeah. So yeah, bottling them up. Yeah. Within the vinegar and that, yeah. Yeah, and fermenting, and there's loads of ways you can store seeds, isn't there? Like seeds, not just to grow, but seeds for consumption. Mm-hmm because they're not going to be coming out in the winter, but they're a great source of nutrition in the winter. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, um, yeah. Just thinking like the, picked a lot of rose hips um, at the end of, like at the end of, in in the autumn. And yet there's a huge, there's still a huge sack of rose hips, um, which are incredibly nutritious food. How do you eat rose hips? It's not a food we typically eat. I mean, just um, I th- so the rose hips have got like they've um, you can just um, you can just stew them. The only thing with rose hips is that in inside them they've got the the seeds which are quite ir- like they're irritants mm-hmm. or um, yeah, 
and I think they've got they were maybe used as like pranks like for kids like in teenagers like they can make you feel like really itchy mm. um, but yeah the I know people that when they cook with them they cook all of it the seeds as well mm. I prefer to try and remove the seeds uh-huh so you like cook it down and strain the seeds out yeah or, yeah. or take this or once they're dried they're quite easy to work with you just cut them in half and, and scrape out the seeds uh-huh. um, and because they're all dried you know, to do that first and then and then re- rehydrate the 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 flesh and then yeah and then you can cook with it however you want to oh. yeah and it's yeah it's very sweet yeah fantastic there's um such a world opening that's um like a bridge between foraging and uh, a yeah. standard garden and i love this idea where you can have the wild food in the garden that you live in how big is the garden at Rodmel? Tell us a little more about this specific garden and yeah. the projects you have going on with it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably, um, yeah, it's about probably about an acre, maybe a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not huge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had, I had um, somebody else came to visit me, a, a friend who has a forest garden there, and um, he was remarking. That just how I really love to like pa- pack things in and then supplant things quite close together and allow things just to kind of muscle out with each other yeah work mm-hmm. out how they you know who's you know or even allow because I'm just taking plants from cuttings or from splitting roots I'm not I'm, I'm not being you know I'm not being that precious about them so mm-hmm. I just let them be in the space and then Whichever plant wins out can can have the space, yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, so there, yeah, it's a a very full garden, um, and in the summer, just everywhere you look, it is um, I'd say literally dripping with fruits and vegetables and yeah, edibles. Yeah. 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 Um. And yeah, you know, and um. Yeah, in terms of the, you know, I I think when it comes to uh, my realization, like with working the like working any land project, is that it's so important to have like community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's I mean, it, yeah, it's no, it's no. I mean, I don't really get much from. Um, I mean, working on my own. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or you know, I can I get a, probably a lot done when I'm working on my own in the garden, but I prefer to be working with other people. Um, and you know, and people do, and there's um, volunteers that come and work with me. There's woofers that come and stay for a few months and come and learn from me. Um, and as much as there's that uh, like knowledge sharing going on. Mm-hmm. So gardens are incredibly. I've always experienced this. I remember a lot when I worked on the farm, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm experiencing it now when I'm in the forest garden, where gardens are incredibly healing spaces, mm-hmm. um, where people share themselves very openly, mm-hmm. and when you work with someone through a day, you you talk you talk the world and. And you really explore things, and mm. um, yeah, this is again like a, and for me, for my, I could say my whole, you know, as a gardener, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm getting, or like as a food grower, I'm getting the vitality from the food. Working the land helps to keep me fit, and working with a community on the land helps to keep me like, you know, my mental health like expressed and more stable so yeah it's kind of fulfilling many many of my needs yeah Yeah, the physical the emotional and the soulful are all getting met through this garden Um, and how many of us are missing one or two aspects of those um, fulfillments in our life and if we can get those through gardening how amazing is that and not just um, a garden that you go to but that you live in 
tell, tell us a little bit about the weaving of your life, Mark, because I know you're also an acupuncturist and you're not at the garden every day and you see your community and there's, mm -hmm. there's a whole weaving about um, healthy lifestyle as you're speaking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I've begun to realise more and more how important it is for um, that we need, we need to, for me, I mean, I can only speak for me, like, but for me it really works to try and be finding some kind of, in my work life and in fact my whole life, some kind of, some kind of balance. And I guess from the bringing in, like, as an acupuncturist or Chinese medicine, you know, balance, I'd be thinking about yin and yang um, and, and, and what that actually means. Um, and uh, what I really like as, a, as an acupuncturist, I mean, uh, what I really like about my work life is that, um, I mean, I... I love working with people and I love working as a therapist um, but I'm not sure I'd want to do it all week. Personally I just find myself getting bored um, and so getting out when I'm in the garden I love the physicality, I love the loosened conversation that can that happens and, and of course yeah like the working outside and, and being in nature, which is really important to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as a therapist, I love the, the depth of sharing, like the intimacy mm -hmm. um, of healing, of, um, of healthcare. Um, yeah, and what's really interesting is that in Chinese medicine, Chinese philosophy, Oriental philosophy, Chinese philosophy, all of the descriptions, all of the, all of those conversations take place around observing nature mm -hmm. and understanding um, like seasonal changes and certain or even watching how like certain plants grow like that's often how things are described in some of the classical like texts of understanding mm -hmm. um, how, how things are working within the body in Chinese medicine um, or even in Chinese medicine, there's not even there's not even an interest in what's going on inside the body. It's always seen that the body is ref is actually a reflection of what's going on in the world, like how how um, how the universe, how our world, the earth, how things actually how the how those ecosystems work is the same inside us. So as a you know. I find that I learn, you know, I learn a lot from working in the garden um, about how I should be practicing as an acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I could also say vice versa. Sometimes when I'm working with someone and I see a particular condition and the way that they react, their body's reacting, it can really remind me of. Um, something in the garden, like a certain plant, or, um, yeah, and it's, um, or a certain, perhaps, like, area that's, like, it's this in the garden that I could say is wild or dysfunctional or um, beyond my control, that I can also kind of relate back into what's going on for them. Um, so, yeah, I find it incredibly... Um, Yeah, like e either way, I find it um, there's this real sharing that goes on between the two, like these knowledges. Yeah, yeah, yeah that I'm, I really appreciate. That was such a into. beautiful description yeah, of the you. philosophy of like the ecosystem inside of us is the same as the ecosystem of the universe and the ecosystems of the earth. And, um, that's just a whole nother layer to reciprocity and the holographic nature of life mm -hmm. and, and just really makes me think about how much wildness we actually need in our life that's maybe not chaotic wildness but where things are allowed to grow and to flourish in mm -hmm. their own way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
For me at the moment, I really, um, I, I feel like I'm ex ex personally exploring that idea of like flow and, and beyond that, that idea of, you know, of how do we, like you could say like a tree has its nature and it just, it just lives it. How do we get as comfortable as that, like, as that tree? Where, where we can be, you know, like truly liberated, truly flowing in that liberation to, you know, to really exude our, like, our beauties and not feel that kind of cultural society kind of oppressing us yeah, or holding us back. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just shining rather than trying to fit in. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good start. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, is there anything else you would like to share with us today that I might not have asked about that you just feel so important to um, food forestry, agroforestry, or where we are at in our culture with our transitions toward more sustainable living? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, what can I say? I th yeah, I think, just coming back to that idea of like self-empowerment, I think, uh -huh. yeah, and, and with that, um, I mean, I, you know, self-empowerment sounds quite like isolated, perhaps we need to think about like com community empowerment, you know, like I probably couldn't, I couldn't be an acupuncturist without people to like other people, like patients coming to work with me and I couldn't, there's no point me working the land just for me, um, that feels very isolated so, um, yeah so I think there's that way, I think it'd be great to encourage more like empowerment, like community empowerment. And I'm, I'm aware of more and more that there's um, things going through, like uh, it's becoming easier to set up like community gardens and mm -hmm. yeah, getting people on the land and, and, and communities getting back on the land. Mm -hmm. um, and within that, it's, yeah, it's not just talked about as you know, as providing food, but also yeah, the sheer mental health mm -hmm. wonders of not only that quiet space of doing something practical and physical, but also of the relaxed sharing that the accompaniment that happens. Yeah, so I think yeah, that's yeah, that's a really important thing. Yeah, thank you for bringing that through. Well, that's where we began with your journey, starting through self-empowerment. Yeah. And, um, but I think, you know, I think what's interesting for me, perhaps reflecting now, is like, perhaps mm -hmm. that journey was that I could start off as like self-empowerment mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and actually probably acted quite selfishly and, um, yeah, yeah, and probably you know, maybe in that, like, maybe like early twenties, like not really looking for community or looking to mm -hmm. settle down. But now, like, really, again, coming like looking for, looking for the roots of life, mm -hmm. and, um, and realizing that necessity for engage like engagement with others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For for, for fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. So if others would like to join you as volunteers or yeah. get on the woofing scheme or just meet you and, and um, come for acupuncture and <laughs> learn from you, how do they find you? How do they find me? Yeah, yeah I can be a little bit elusive, but yeah, <laughs> I can be found. Hiding in the bushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, again, I guess with that um, idea of like liberation and flow, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but um, I, so the, um, on Wednesdays, uh, are always like open volunteer days in the, in the forest garden, in the food forest, um, and that can be found like online, Rodmel Food Forest, mm -hmm. um, 
and then yeah as an acupuncturist I can just put my name in I work mm -hmm. down in Sussex and oh. yeah 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 and I'm like yeah my name's Mark Stenham so uh -huh. yeah there we are there we are well it's been so wonderful to have you here today Mark yeah welcome it's been a really delightful conversation and I definitely feel the spring roots coming alive as we sit here today with the daffodils <laughs> yeah, yeah. The beauty of the earth. Thank you for sharing this time. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark Stenham with the Rodmel Food Forest. His links will be in the descriptions. If you would like to contact me about getting on the podcast or anything, please go to hannahjewelofpeace.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs>